You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Play, please go to our show page and leave a review. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I'm your host, Tony Lopes, and with me today is our special guest, Brandon Barr, uh, co-founder and chief operating officer of Soothe, a health and wellness company producing products to support mind and body recovery. Soothe aims to make a positive impact in mental health awareness and to get rid of the opioid epidemic. How's it going, Brandon? It's going great. I can't complain. How are you? Yeah, doing really well. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So Brandon is a a serial entrepreneur of sorts. Uh, You've done a lot of really cool things. You're passionate about health and wellness and destigmatizing the traditional taboos around mental health. Yeah. You've developed the company Soothe, which is right now uh, mainly doing some vegan, some organic CBD products. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but you're branching out into other areas. And today's episode is going to be how to build a brand with a cause with Brandon Barr. Uh, Brandon is a pro when it comes to building companies that scale rapidly, but also have a philanthropic tie-in. Brandon, tell us a little bit about First of all, you know, how you began on your entrepreneurial journey, but some of the companies that you've built along the way. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, it definitely started off really early when I was just a kid. I mean, I can remember going on road trips with my dad, just sitting there thinking about different business ideas. So um, it kind of was programmed into my mind to think uh, about problem solving and, you know, bringing solutions to the table. So I think my first... um, you know, at bat, I think this is also similar to a lot of entrepreneurs is, is shirts. <laughs> so when I was in high school, I, um, you know, made a couple shirts, you know, sold them to friends, people around the school, um, you know, not with much success, but I think that was my first swing. Yeah. And once I got into college and it started to attend Temple University and really dove into the business school and the atmosphere there, that's when I really became inspired to actually, you know, find different avenues that I enjoy, but also, um, you know, different ways to kind of bring entertainment and impact to the people around me. So yeah, the first, the first, um, notable experience that I had was I actually, when I was a freshman, I taught myself how to DJ. Wow. Yeah. So, um, that kind of was a passion project. I just, I've always loved music and got myself into the scenario where I had a lot of free time as a freshman and, you know, taught myself how to use turntables that quickly turned into, um, you know, DJing at different events and, you know, (laughs) being my complete income as a student, actually. Wow. Yeah, so um, that I was very fortunate to be able to monetize that. And um, that eventually did get taken a little bit more seriously. I, I ended up turning that into an agency where we would book, um, you know, electronic music talent throughout Philadelphia. Um, I represented a couple of different local artists who produced music and, you know, placed them on those shows. Wow. Um, we ended up getting into hosting our own events and trying to scale that up. And that's kind of when everything disintegrated, um, (laughs) wasn't, you know, we just weren't staying true to our core competencies. So, um, but awesome, awesome experience. And that led to a lot of other stuff because it helped me expand my network, which I think attending Temple university or any university for that matter, um, you have to take advantage of building your network. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the number one most important thing. And it's been the most beneficial thing for me by far. Um, over any course or over any piece of information I've learned, definitely the network. So I surrounded myself with people who were passionate about, 
you know, working, helping people, just, you know, being around other people and kind of uh, monetizing what they had on the table. And that led me to, um, I, I, I met a guy, his name was Joe DePippo, great friend. And he found out about this app that launched in Missouri. And we heard about it. It was an on-campus app that kind of let people know, hey, you can buy, sell trade books here. You can um, host events here. You can let people know what's going on on campus. And mm-hmm. we saw the launch happen and um, actually reached out and said, hey, we need this at Temple. And so we brought that app over to Temple. Wow. Um, we had a really, really successful uh, first semester there. And we ended up getting about 10% of the student body at Temple onto this app. Wow. So that was all through guerrilla marketing and, you know, just grassroots, just, you know, hosting events, getting out there and just not utilizing anything digital, but just all grassroots. So that kind of taught me um, that side of the hustle. And that was just like literally walking around campus, getting people to hand out flyers, flyers, everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had merchandise, flyers, you know, hosting events, collaborating with other people, hosting events, just sponsorship type stuff. Yeah. Just getting in front of people, um, physically. And mm-hmm. like I said, nothing digital at that point. The app was obviously digital, yeah, but yeah. we didn't funnel anybody um, onto the app through social media or anything at that point. Um, but it did open my eyes to understand what a network effect could have. Mm-hmm. Because when you get a lot of people into a similar space that are all like-minded, in this scenario, Temple students, you can make some powerful things happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we ended up throwing some really, really large, powerful events through this platform Um, and that kind of changed the way I thought about the networking effect and just how all that stuff plays out. So we ended up, um, kind of backing away from that application just because the founders changed their whole pit. They just pivoted and it, and the way that we had built our network at temple, um, was kind of on the polar opposite of the way that they shifted to. So all the, all the users kind of, you know, fragmented off and, died off, but it lost alignment and yeah. engagement with the target audience. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, which yeah. was in itself a very powerful lesson as well. So right. took that away from it. And, you know, while simultaneously doing the DJing stuff and, you know, kind of still in the music scene, um, I ended up connecting with another group of people who I met through the entrepreneurship program. Mm-hmm. So just hanging out in the innovation lab and, you know, just spending my time there, you know, between classes, I was always doing my homework there because I knew I was going to meet somebody. Right. Um, well, that happened to be true. I met um, super, super passionate, motivated, smart guy, Andrew Nakach. And together um, with the help of another founder, Mike Paskowitz, we ended up kind of going through the business plan competition, the BYOBB at Temple. Mm-hmm. That's for, the Be Your Own Boss Bowl. Yes. For, yes. The yeah. Be Your Own Boss Bowl. And put together a plan and we ended up taking first place in the undergraduate track for this concept. Wow. So this concept is called Habitat. And at the time it was a student to student marketplace, very just kind of pictured to a secure Craigslist where, you know, we verify your ID, your student ID, we verify your student email address. That's what gets you access to the student body. Um, so just establishing trust. And we actually got a pilot of the app developed and, and, you know, put to market, not necessarily to market, but, you know, just as a, as a first initial test round. Mm -hmm. And when we won the business plan competition, we actually flew out to Vegas, um, and met up with a couple advisors where they picked apart every hole in our business plan, you know? (laughs) And at that point we were very full of ourselves, like, Hey, this is the best business plan there is. But when you kind of put it in front of somebody that's going to be blunt and honest about, you know, Mm -hmm. what is good and what's not good about it. Well, we found out very fast that we were not focused. So that whole concept, um, 
kind of slimmed down from being, you know, the student to student marketplace into something a little bit more um, streamlined, which at Temple, one of the biggest uh, demands was there's a bunch of food trucks everywhere. So we actually were able to pivot our technology into being a almost like a Grubhub for all the local food spots. So a very hyper local delivery um, application. And that's since been um, evolved even further to being actually a subcontracted company of, um, you know, Uber Eats and all these other companies who they have delivery in a large, you know, area like Philadelphia. But if you can master the logistics of delivery, you can save a lot of money. So that's what Habitat is, you know, transitioned into now is hyper local um, optimization in the delivery side of things. So when there's overflow from Uber Eats and Grubhub, that overflow goes on to Habitat. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, that team's super, super hardworking and passionate. I'm no longer involved there, but um, kudos to that team because they are just, they, they hustle and grind and um, they just, just made it through Y Combinator, which wow. is very exciting for them. And That's huge. Yeah, huge, yeah, huge. Startup world, yeah. I can't even imagine, you know, the just the amazing things that they've learned, you know, going through that. It's 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 incredible. So I'm very excited to see where that goes. And, you know, that kind of brings us to, you know, like the aha moment, right? So now I've had a little bit of this uh, background in, you know, honestly, all over the place, a little bit of app development, a little bit of operations, some sales, some marketing, and learning about the network effect. Now I have another group of friends who is, they learned how to growth hack on Twitter. And this was back when, you know, 2011 through 2015, when Twitter was really, really strong. Facebook was kind of getting their stuff still Mm -hmm, figured out. mm -hmm. So that wasn't really where everyone was at. Snapchat was brand new. Um, So really Twitter was where it was at. So by understanding kind of how to growth hack and build a network there, um, that led to some really, really, really powerful things. Cause now we're not talking about the network effect within a campus. We're talking about a network effect for essentially millennials across the entire United States. So a lot of the pages that, you know, were developed and building content and, um, being grown and cross promoting were all related to the millennial demographic. And a lot of it was also related to the female millennial demographic. So best places to travel, mm-hmm. um, you know, the perfect boyfriend, dogs, cats, just, you know, all these categorical pages that would have some relevance to that demographic. Mm-hmm. And that ended up scaling insanely, insanely high to, you know, to the point where we had at one point amassed around 38 million followers. Wow. Yeah. So um, in the beginning, we weren't focused on necessarily just monetizing it. We, you know, you you have to understand that there's a very fine line between generating solid content that's engaging and putting advertising messages in front of somebody. Yeah. So our thought process was always like a one to 15, one to 21, you know, 21 posts that are just enjoyable content to one thing that's an ad. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at all of that, everything that's going on, Twitter gives you a lot of data. And when you look at everything that kind of overlapped and everything that those, those, followers were interested in it, it overwhelmingly kind of pointed to elephants. So I was a little bit on the back burner on this. You know, I wasn't fully involved. I was still doing my music stuff. I was still, you know, focused on, on Habitat as well at this time. So there's a lot of overlap. Um, so the core group that was doing this, I mean, they were just genius by looking at, you know, the network effect in first. And then the second thing is reverse engineer the data. 
you don't necessarily know what's going to do well unless you look at the numbers. So right. instead of doing trial and error and just, you know, A, B testing all this stuff, hey, let's look at the let's look at the audience. Let's look at traditionally over the last year, what makes the most sense to put in front of that audience? Mm-hmm. Well, it's elephants. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Very. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it, but yeah. So so it was elephants and um, that group of friends. Basically, they ended up creating a Twitter account solely around elephant content. Wow grew that to a very large amount. I think it was around a quarter million followers in, you know, 90 days or something like that. And the whole concept was this is a essentially the top of the funnel, right? We know people are interested in elephants. We have solid elephant content. Now let's establish a brand to back this. But even more importantly, it's not just any brand. It's a brand that's going to give back. So, you know, giving back is a huge, huge, huge piece of the success of a lot of what we do because it builds, you know, obviously people resonate with it, but it builds lifetime value in those customers because mm-hmm. they, they feel like they're, they're giving back. And then at the same time, they, they are giving back, but they can see it, right. which they feel really good about. They share it. I mean, it just, it turns into a movement versus just a product. Which drastically increases their, not only their lifetime value, but their loyalty as well. Absolutely. Long-term. Absolutely. Yeah. So when that brand launched, um, there was not nearly enough apparel to go around. <laughs> so when it launched, I mean, it was, it was absurd. Like it sold out. I think it was under 12 minutes and all the, all the shirts that they had, but the pivotal moment was there's a decision now. Do we turn off sales or do we go on pre-order? Mm-hmm. And the decision was to go on pre-order. And, and this is what I mean, you know, when you talk about building that brand loyalty, I mean, people knew they were not getting their shirt for three, six eight months and they were refusing refunds. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, that, that business, I, like I said, I was kind of on the outside. So I saw this whole thing growing and just learning, you know, just trying to soak up as much of it as I could. And once it launched and it was, you know, kind of a sustainable brand, I'm sitting here in the background, like, well, what's, what's up with this Twitter network? What can we do with this? How can we, how can we bring more value and drive more value out of this network? And it just so happened that I had a buddy at the time who was developing puzzle games, mobile app puzzle games. Mm -hmm. So we launched a a puzzle game through the network and that absolutely exploded. We got a little over a million downloads in less than a two month period just by organically promoting this, this game, um, mostly through meme content. Wow. Yeah. So that really, really showed me the value, you know, and now all these Twitter accounts are essentially owned by individuals. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting here like, wow, okay, Ivoryella, which is the elephant brand that I was mentioning. I don't know if I said the name or anything, but Ivoryella blew up. It's doing extremely well. Then you get your second case study, which is this mobile app, which is extremely low cost um, for massive, massive reward. Mm-hmm. So now we're just sitting here like, all right, how, how do we derive the most value out of this network that we possibly can, um, which led us to essentially create an agency. So what that entailed was putting together some money and getting those accounts under one umbrella. Um, so that company is called TM38. It was founded, um, you know, two or three years ago or so. I don't have the exact date on the top of my head, but um, so the whole concept there was we knew that we wanted to build another brand. That's where the value is. Mm-hmm. The value is not in being an agency and diluting your accounts, um, you know, by promoting for this, this, and that. It's maintaining a high level of organic content, high level of engagement, and 
plugging something in that's going to resonate with those people and not overdoing it. Like right. I said, like one promotion tweet to 20, a <laughs> very, very high, high uh, gap there to make sure that the content's organic and to make sure that that audience stays tuned in. Right. And in that, so with TM38, you were basically helping um, organization organizations yeah. build brands with a cause focused on operations management, sales management, um, CRM client relationship yep, management, yep. and branding and campaign management. Exactly, exactly. And and we did a lot of collaboration with the clients and, you know, kind of helped them put together branding strategies mm -hmm. and launch strategies. Um, and where that actually led was a lot of organic content. So we were working with a lot of musicians. We were working with um, a lot of like documentaries and stuff that when you're going through your Twitter feed and you see it, you don't question if it's an ad or not just because it's the same content that you see every day. And that is a big part of the success of that agency because we were always in control of content creation. So we would not put out any content that we didn't create in-house because we're wow. the only people who know our audience. Wow. You, you have your brand and we're going to put your brand voice and establish that within the content, but it has to be collaborative we did one time put out a con piece of content that the client developed and it did not have any um, relation to our audience and it tanked, you know? So <laughs> it was like looking at stuff like that and it's all data oriented. So when you see that, you're like, all right, you have to focus on the content as being the number one thing. But then the second thing is you have to focus on content distribution. So how are you going to get that high quality content into the right person's field of vision? Mm -hmm in an organic way, in a way that's not going to annoy them. And in a consistent way, right? Right, yeah. right. Doing all of those things. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's quite a lot to juggle. So, yeah, so yeah I mean, in, in the agency, I was mostly focused on, like I said, just organization and kind of making sure things flowed right, building, building out processes. Um, and then I ended up also maintaining all the sales accounts, landing new accounts, managing, doing all the relationship management, um, which probably out of everything that I've done has built a, like a very, very solid skill base for myself. Um, just being able to communicate on, and this is on any level. I mean, it has just relationship management, whether it's a client or it's a boss or it's an employee or your family, your boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, you know, it's super, super important thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's take a step back and talk about the network effect of being on Twitter and how you built the audience on Twitter. I think Twitter's still yep. a relatively relevant medium, of course, yeah. um, but it's conversation-based, right? Yes. Not yes. like the other mediums. And I think there's a lot of um, people understand how Instagram works right. to a degree, right? right. Not, not necessarily saying that everyone does it perfectly, but they get how it works. Yeah. Picture-based content, yep. visual-based, visual medium, and you support it with text-based captions. But when you're trying to build an audience like that on Twitter, how did you go from we have this idea to 38 million or, or however many followers? Yeah, so I would say the first thing is content, content, content. It has to be high quality. It has to be unique. It has to be original. And it has to overall has to be consistent. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to publish three to 20 tweets every single day. And they have to be unique and they have to be relevant and timely right. um, or you're just you're not going to get traction. So that's the foundation. It's it's a content foundation. Now, the second piece is that's the beauty of Twitter is that the shareability is not diminished by the platform. So there's no share feature on Instagram other than your story, which is not going to go viral. Right. 
um, Facebook, they limit your reach. I mean, they want you to pay the platform to be yep. able to get in front of your own audience. Pay to play there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. with Twitter, the beauty is if people think it's witty and they think it's good content, it is shareable and it's all, it's just one button. And now all of a sudden that one person who was entertained by that content just shared in front of their whole audience. And now that whole audience is now in tune with what you're doing. Yeah. And that's the network effect that yeah. you were talking yeah. about in essence. So if you can kind of manipulate that and have a network of accounts that are very similar that always are communicating together, now you're going to be able to establish new new users, new people who are following you um, just because your content's getting to those people and individuals are sharing with their friends. Right. But at the same time, now you have all these other accounts that are very credible that are have a large following that are also sharing the accounts and they're doing shout outs and you're saying, hey, go check this account out. These guys are great. Go do this, this, this. And it's 100% endorsement based. And that keeps it organic. It keeps it so you're not putting out spam messages. You're not, you know, follow, following a bunch of people and then unfollowing the people who don't follow you back right, and, exactly, you know, kind of right. doing these things that yeah. are just going to lead to a tanked engagement rate. Yeah. Yeah. And that hurt your overall, you know, on the back end, hurt your, your score with, whatever platform you're on. Yeah. If you're doing yep. a lot of that, what they call, you know, black hat or gray hat yep. type of stuff, you're going to get burned sooner or later. Yeah. yeah. Especially on Instagram. Right. <laughs> they, yeah, exactly. They'll catch you fast yeah. on Instagram. Yeah, exactly. So cool. So we're at TM 38 and now we're heading into starting Soothe, yeah. right? Which was yep. about a year, almost two years ago. Yeah. Actually longer than that. So we, we dove into the research side. Actually. Okay. I'll rewind. So we were actually, we went down to South by Southwest in 2016 mm -hmm. and the whole goal was to get more clients for the agency. But while we were there, we ran into a company called Gen Canna and they were one of the first five or six, um, hemp growers, processors, extractors that had permission from the government to, you know, do all this work, do research in conjunction with the university and distribute the product, which was like we we met them and we were completely mind blown. So I ended up getting a, a good relationship with, you know, one of their sales representatives and just kind of went back and forth for a little bit just to, again, all data oriented. We have to make sure like, yeah, we're passionate about this because our whole team in general, and I think I'll just take a little aside here. So like throughout my whole life as an entrepreneur and um, in late high school, even as an athlete, I don't think I realized it at that point that I was relying on cannabis as a crutch for, you know, just recovery and mm -hmm, stress. Mm -hmm. um, but as research started to come out and that, that kind of clicked for me, but also looking at our whole team, we kind of all share that, you know, that, that there is a lot of medicinal value in cannabis and there's a lot of ways to de-stress with it that are very healthy. Um, so just that underlying level of passion has always been there for cannabis and then you, then it's just like, all right, you have that. And then all the stars started to align. So you meet the processor, um, get a good relationship with them, start to try products. At this point, I think there's only one location in all of Philadelphia that's selling any hemp derived products, which is uh, Creep Records. Mm -hmm. And so I went there, bought some, it was like 10 times more expensive than it is now or than it ever <laughs> should have been. Um, so, so I'm trying it as a consumer. I don't know what I'm looking for as a consumer. I haven't necessarily had any like phenomenal experiences with CBD as a whole or a hemp product as a whole. And then U University of Penn put out a study 
that they basically went out and bought, I think it was 50 different um, CBD products that were on just on the shelves throughout the area and lab tested them and about 70% of them failed. And it's not necessarily failing for like contamination, but it's just advertising message, you know? Mm-hmm. So most of them aren't putting more than they're advertising. Right. It's either zero or way less. Right, right. So then all of these things started to align. And then now I'm going online and I'm going on Google Trends and I'm going on these different, um, you know, just analytical tools that will show you what trend trajectory looks like. Well, CBD is skyrocketing. And it's not necessarily like skyrocketing to the point where it's peaking. It's you can just see the trajectory is about to about to just take off. Mm-hmm. So you get all of those different facets together and put them in to one bucket. And then that led us to say, all right, the next brand we're launching is going to be in the hemp space. And the beauty for us is, number one, the product is going to help with mental health. Yep. And we can also create a conversation around destigmatizing the taboo of mental health Um, you know, if you follow our Instagram accounts, you know, we give out just advice about how to de-stress, you know, put out a little bit of content over the holidays, like, Hey, you guys are home, you're in the holidays. And that in itself is a stressful time. Here's a couple tips to get over that. So just, you know, creating a conversation and, and making it normal. So content that is around mental health and, and talking about mental health Mm -hmm. is just normal. Right. Right. And that's part of your destigmatization effort, yeah. right? In general, you're trying to help people with mental health issues um, who may or may or may not be addicted to opioids for pain management. Right, right. And that's the idea. CBD can help a lot with a lot of those yeah, issues, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you've also, uh, there's a tie-in here because you were on the Philly Famous podcast with Greg Holdsman, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. Greg, Greg introduced us, as yeah, a matter of fact. He's a great he, guy. He, yeah, he's fantastic. Um, but that's part of it as well. He's, uh, he's used Soothe CBD yeah. products, right, to recover from his... Uh, post-concussion Absolutely. syndrome issues that yep. he's had. So that's been a huge part of it. So how does CBD work? Let's let's talk about, you know, you're you're the expert in the room, so to speak. How does it work when it comes to those types of things? How does it help when somebody's recovering from an injury like right. Greg's? Right. How does it help if you're suffering from anxiety disorders or uh, uh, maybe some other psychological issues yeah. that you might have? Yeah. Let's go through that. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the CBD space and the hemp space is very tough to navigate as far as talking about what it will do and what it won't do because mm-hmm. it's not regulated by the FDA yet. So you can't necessarily make medical claims, um, you know, say this will do this, this will do this. But what I can say is the number one thing that CBD is going to do for any anyone, any mammal, so dogs, cats, humans, mm-hmm. is it's going to help you maintain a healthy state of inflammation. And as we know, inflammation is the number one precursor for major illness. It is the number one thing post-injury and post-illness that keeps your body down. Mm -hmm. So if you can just maintain a healthy state of inflammation, you're going to, that's going to go a long way. Now, the other thing it's going to help do is it's going to help reduce stress. It's going to, it acts as an antioxidant. So it's going to be oxidative stress as well as um, cognitive stress. Um, those are the main things. So for us as a brand, you know, our brand is soothe and kind of what we like to focus on is soothe your mind, soothe your body. So our products are oriented around those two things. It's, it's body recovery when it's coming to the context of maintaining a good state of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And then the mind products are a hundred percent oriented around mental clarity, 
de-stressing. Um, and the way that that affects you is going to be different from everybody because the interesting thing about cannabis and, and CBD and even THC and all these other cannabinoids that are out there, there's new research that's saying, you know, and this is in like 2009, I think it started to get studied. Uh, mammals have an endocannabinoid system. So if your endocannabinoid system either doesn't operate correctly or you're at a deficiency, you're going to have a completely different reaction than me or the person next to me. Mm -hmm. So I could have issues sleeping. You could have issues um, handling a good state of inflammation. That person over there might ha have stress from it. And if you can just get that system into an equilibrium, a lot of good things are going to happen. So that's the other thing, you know, with CBD, there's the way that all these other companies kind of market it. It's, it's like they're putting it on this pedestal that it's going to, do all these crazy things. Well, it, yes, it will do a lot of crazy stuff and, and, and benefit your body, but it's honestly more about what you don't feel than what you do feel. You feel less stress. You feel a little bit less pain versus something that's like a measurable feeling like, Hey, I'm a little intoxicated or I'm, I'm this. So addressing that disconnect and kind of, there's a level of disdigmatization in that as well, because a lot of people are very wary about anything that's coming from the cannabis or hemp plant. Right. So, yeah, and CBD products in general do not have a psychoactive effect. So saying psychoactive is probably not the best way because it does interact with, you know, serotonin and dopamine and all these things in your brain. But um, many foods do as well. Yes, correct. So, but I think the better term would be it's not intoxicating. Right. It's not impairing. So, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to have intoxication, you're not going to have impairment. Um, as far as negative side effects go, I mean, it's, it's, there are drug interactions. So, you know, if you're taking medication, always consult your physician before using it. And right. generally you're looking at, if your doctor tells you to avoid grapefruit, you also avoid CBD. It's a pretty easy, it's a pretty easy, um, comparison just because of how it interacts in your liver. So interesting. Yeah. So, so grapefruit and CBD for some reason have the same, they interact with the same enzymes. Interesting. Yeah, in your liver. So so basically what'll happen is in some scenarios, your body will favor the hemp and not process the medication. In other scenarios, your body will hyper process the medication. Which so, is not a good right. thing. <laughs> so yeah, so you just you always want to make sure that you're, you know, consulting your physician. Most physicians are very hip to C B D and how it's gonna work in your body and especially the interactions. Now, are they brainwashed by big pharma and will they say, yes, go do it? Or will they pr try to prescribe you a pill? That's to be determined, but you know, they, they do know. So yeah, d definitely make sure you ask and uh, get that clarified. And the only other negative side effect, which most people don't consider it a negative is drowsiness. Right. So, and that's in very high doses. So um, that's pretty much the, the playing field about, you know, the main benefits that we talk about and like to focus on. And obviously any type of negative side effect would just be drug interaction and drowsiness in high doses. So what types of products, um, CBD or otherwise, does Soothe currently carry yeah. and what do you have coming down the pipeline? Yeah. So um, I think when you when you think about CBD, the most relevant product that probably comes to mind is a tincture, um, which is, you know, a product that's an oil-based product. You drip it underneath your tongue. You want to use like it Kind of like an essential oil. Not exactly, but kind of along those Very lines. Very similar. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so obviously we have that, that is, you know, kind of the, one of the keystone products that we have, um, very high repeat customer rate. I mean, people get into that and they, 
they love it and they and that's your daily product so when when you take cbd daily after seven to ten days it's going to build up in your body it's called mm-hmm. bioaccumulation um, and that's basically the cbd molecules and the other molecules from hemp building up in your fat cells that is very beneficial so that's another kind of disconnect that there is is when you take cbd you think you're going to get this immaculate feeling on your first dose well wait seven days of consistent use and you'll have friends starting to tell you that you're less stressed. <laughs> so it's funny. Yeah. So, so tincture, you know, um, we call those the oil drops. Those, those are super popular. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the next most popular product are definitely our gummies right now. They are the only product in our assortment. That's not a hundred percent plant-based. Um, with that being said, our, we've been in development for about 11 months on this new product that is fully vegan, all natural, um, gummy and that is launching, um, next week. So that's been, you know, a long process to just get a very, very high quality gummy that has less than two grams of sugar in it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially if you're an athlete, you don't have to, you know, pick and choose if you're going to take your protein shake over top of your CBD supplement. So that's exciting. And, um, we also have a drink additive that's called the nano drops. It's a vanilla flavor. So most people put that um, in their post-workout shake, just like a protein shake, mm-hmm. um, or their coffee. I prefer it in my coffee cause I get a little jittery with caffeine, mm. but the CBD kind of just knocks that out. So it just helps with the energy and focus. Um, see here, the other products we have, we have flour, which is just the raw herb. So, mm-hmm. you know, most people just compare it to looking exactly like cannabis. It looks, smells just like it, but it's not going to have the intoxication. Um, and that's where everything is derived from, you know, the, the oils that we get are all derived from the flour. Um, and those oils get put into all the rest of the products. So, so you have the flour and then we also have a lotion, um, that is, you know, specifically for like muscle discomfort, joint discomfort. Um, and it's very, very fast acting. So that product has, has a lot of traction, um, really around athletes, you know, just for post-workout recovery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, then what we have on the horizon, um, we have a couple different oil products that are coming out. Like I said, that's kind of like the most popular way to consume CBD. So we're adding some additional ingredients in there that are synergistic with CBD, you know, like turmeric, um, ashwagandha, some uh, reishi mushroom extract, stuff oh. like that, that just either are going to fall under helping cognitively or just helping your body, um, you know, maintain that inflammation state. So we have those coming out. And then we have a body moisturizer coming out. Awesome. Yeah. And so how are you, ashwagandha, by the way, that's fantastic. That's an Ayurvedic or, yep. or Indian herb that's used a lot in, um, in, as an anti-inflammatory yep. and for yep. other things and mixed with CBD. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's going to be super powered, I guess. Very, yeah, it's very synergistic with CBD. The cool thing that I like about ashwagandha is there's, there's studies coming out that saying that it actually kills cortisone, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the core of yep. stress. Yeah. I actually do use, uh, ashwagandha. Awesome. Um, and we, we have the powder at home and sometimes I'll just throw that into a shake yep. as well to your point. Yeah. I mean, it all kind of is psychoactive in a, in a certain context, right, right? right? Because it does affect a lot of your focus. It affects a lot of your mental clarity yep, and stuff exactly. like that. That's interesting. 
really interesting that you use that. Now, how do you ensure that your products are meeting a certain standard? Because as yeah. you mentioned at the beginning, most CBD companies out there, and we're not, you know, throwing stones at anyone, yep. but as the industry is developing, there aren't really standards right now right, right. to ensure that you're getting a high quality CBD product. So how are you guys making sure that yours is always at the top? Yeah, definitely. So just looking at what would be considered industry standard, most people think that all they're looking for is a lab test to show potency. They just don't want to get lied to. They want to know if, if you say there's a thousand milligrams in here, mm-hmm. is there actually a thousand milligrams mm-hmm. in here? So that's honestly the furthest extent that most of the industry goes to. Um, now looking at why we even got in the industry in the first place, well, transparency was one of those major drivers. So we're not happy with just potency testing. So our quality control measures are very intense. We essentially get the extract. Mm -hmm. We will lab test that. It's called a full panel test. So it's about a 12 page long test and it's going to show you, um, all your cannabinoid profiles, how much is in there. Um, the terpene profile, which if you're not familiar with terpenes they're they basically make up essential oils. They're also found in hemp and cannabis. Um, from there, we get into contamination. So there's residual solvents, which, you know, could be um, ethanol or, you know, any type of these alcohols or whatnot that are left in there from the extraction process. There is um, molds, mildews, there's pesticides, there's herbicides, there's fungicides, there's mesotoxins. Um there's a full panel of stuff that could potentially contaminate any food product. Mm-hmm. So we test the raw ingredient for all of those. So if it ever fails that, it gets quarantined and never makes it into a final product. Now, we get that extract, and then we put it into the final good. Now, we'll batch test that final good as well for the exact same things. So if by some chance in the bottling process or in just the batching process, there was some kind of contamination, we would catch it there and it would never make it to market. It'd be quarantined and destroyed. So we take those precautions because there are a lot of companies out there that are, that are getting sued for this kind of stuff who, yeah, they're not, they're taking advantage of consumers and that is completely against our core values as a company. So making sure that we have a high, high quality extract and a high, high quality end good that's not going to have contamination, it's essential. And I think that by doing that, um, hopefully we can kind of lead the rest of the market into doing the same things that we do. Yeah. And if you look at our product packaging, we have a QR code on there. So you just hover your smartphone camera over top of it. It'll bring you right to our lab test. So you can know exactly what's inside that bottle, you know, before you purchase it. Oh, wow. Specific to the bottle and everything. Yep, exactly. Wow. Yep. Really cool. That's awesome how you've innovated that in a consumer packaged yeah. goods segment and you're, yeah. you're adding value to the customer at the same time. Yeah. And, and if, even if you look at the cannabis industry that's regulated heavily in the medical side of things, they're not even taking these precautions. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we really like, you know, we have a, a very high sense of pride about the way that we lab test our products and make sure that they are going to be quality for that end good. Now, when you got into the CBD space, I know you, you said you, you know, you 
sort of met the manufacturer yep. in South by Southwest. Yep. That kind of led to the initial relationship. How did you do the walk us through sort of your process for making sure that there was a pain point that you could address coming right. into a market that was saturating quickly, right? Because yep. there's a lot of com- competition in the CBD space. Yeah, you're yeah, doing really well. Yeah. So that's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. But how did you what were the measures that you took to make sure that you know, this was the right step for you guys. So number one, having a product that works and aligning the expectations of our consumers. So like I mentioned earlier, you know, we don't put it on a pedestal like it's going to be this miracle drug. It's not, you know, it's going to help you, but um, aligning expectations is super important. Um, having quality and transparency is super important. Understanding that there is stigma behind cannabis and hemp is important because if you look at the audience or sorry, the market right now, I mean, probably 80, 85% of these brands are all focused on the cannabis market. And the way that we establish our brand is if you look at our packaging, if you look at our website, you could be, you know, 18 years old, or you could be 65 years old and you're not going to be intimidated. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge driver in our success is, is, is getting rid of intimidation of not making it look like it's a cannabis product um, while still giving you the education to know that, hey, this is coming from hemp and it's not going to be intoxicating and it's going to help your body and it's going to help your life. So to do that research, did you actually reach out to people with surveys? Did you do sort of panel discussions? No, or not how did really. How did you collate that data? So most of the data that we were looking at was coming out of Israel. So it's just, it's just medical data coming out of Israel, you know, just, just studies Okay. and nothing is established yet. You know, there's nothing like you're not allowed to really do studies in the United States yet. Um, so I mean though, that you, you paid very close attention to your target audience's pain points and what they wanted to see, right? Stress, Stress, apprehension, feeling intimidated by the lack of data and research available and all those things. So how did you find that? And then how did you go about addressing it in a way that communicated directly to them? I would say that that was very AB testing oriented. Okay. You know, we, we, cause here's the thing. I mean, there, there wasn't much data. There wasn't much research. There wasn't a lot of people consuming it. So Mm -hmm. there wasn't anywhere you could really go to find this info out. So what we had to do was develop the product that we thought would do well which essentially was a vaporizer pen and a tincture. Mm-hmm. And we went to trade shows. We went to, wow. yeah, we just went, we just went around and tried to get it in front of people. So they tried it right in front of us and told us how they felt. Boots on the ground. Yeah. It's the only way. So yeah. So that's how, that's how we started the line. And that's wow. how, um, now obviously now there's a lot more information and there's a lot more data so we can rely on that. But at that point there was none established that we could, you know, use as a crutch. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. What's next on the horizon for Soothe? What's, yeah. you know, kind of the future of the organization? What direction are you trying to go in? I know we talked briefly about looking at other products that can help soothe the mind and the body. Yep. So, yeah. Um, yeah. What are we, what are we looking at in the so future? Definitely expanding into, you know, just other plant-based ingredients that are going to aid the mind, aid the body. So, um, expanding the product line, but also keeping focus and not making it the more options somebody has, the more intimidated they are. Right. Yeah. Information overload. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So trying to maintain that balance and also trying to maintain the balance of miseducation that's on the market is, is, is tough. So, um, 
what we always like to do, it, you know, we have a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you try the products and they don't live up to your expectations, just return it. Um, so having stuff like that is really establishing our trust as a brand because people don't return it. <laughs> they try it. You <laughs> That's know, a good, yeah. uh, good indicator, right? Yeah. So, I, But I think you know, moving forward, the, the big thing that we're focusing on is really establishing our voice as a brand and finding different outlets to get that voice out there. So everybody knows that CBD has benefits, you know, mm-hmm. that it, it's, it's a very common thing, but the conversation around how that can impact mental health is where we want to bridge the gap like that. That is where our focus needs to be. And to do that, you know, we want to work with, you know, like disabled veterans groups and we want to, you know, get product into the right people's hands that need it, you know, and, and just, constantly bring in data, constantly understand, um, how the product is affecting everybody and who needs it and how can we serve those communities Right, and how can we serve those communities in a way that makes them confident about taking the product, sharing the product and, you know, just feeling good about it. So, you know, what that entails is we're starting, you know, like a motivational email series. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know exactly what it's going to be called yet, but I'm thinking just like motivation Mondays, every Monday we'll get you an email. It's just start your week off. Right. Um, incorporating into our social media, you know, ways to overcome stress, ways to, um, start a conversation with somebody who, you know, is going through something tough. Um, just stuff like that, that really starts to break down those walls and destigmatize mental health and the conversation around it. Do you have some of those tips right now? Do yeah, a test yeah. run for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I can just kind of speak from from my own background and Absolutely. just when I get stressed. Yeah. Um, I do rely on CBD. I do rely um, on cannabis. But I think the number one thing is exercise. And I would say the number two thing is healthy communication. And that goes multiple ways because – Everybody receives feedback differently and everybody gives feedback differently and everybody has different preferences about how they want to be spoken to. And you already see friction like in the workplace or just like amongst friends on normal conversations. Mm -hmm. So having that extra level of sensitivity when there's actually something problematic going on and and understanding, you know, there are ways to to talk about that and and provide support that aren't going to make that other person feel attacked or feel cornered or pressured to do anything. So that is, uh, for me, understanding how I like to receive feedback Mm -hmm. has been really, really helpful. Right. And now when I go into new scenarios, so if I'm in my workplace, you know, I've adapted how I like to receive feedback in my personal life into my workplace. So that has reduced stress immensely. Um, when I do feel worked up, you know, go pump out some pushups, do some jumping, jumping jacks, or even better, have a constant gym routine and go to the gym at the same time every day. Yep. Um, those are all huge things. Now, the last point that I will make is a hundred percent diet. Um, there's a lot of research and a lot of information coming out that's talking about stress starts in the gut and what you eat heavily, heavily affects that. Yeah. So what it comes down to And look, I'm not a nutritionist or anything, but what I will say is sugar is like the root of all evil for your body and it will cause inflammation. It will 
make existing inflammation stay longer. And as a country, we're like addicted to sugar. Yeah, right. I don't understand it, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's like the worst, worst thing that you can, you can do if you want to maintain a healthy gut, maintain, you know, healthy levels of inflammation right. and not let those two issues lead to stress because yeah. you could be stressed in your workplace, but I'll tell you what, if you have health problems, in addition to that, you're going to be a whole lot more stressed. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for sharing. Now, one quick thing I want to point out. First of all, the website is soothelife.com yeah. if people want more information and that's S O O T H E. L-I-F-E.com. On there, you can get a lot of information about the products. You can shop for CBD products, but also if you happen to be an entrepreneur that wants to wholesale or distribute the Soothe products, you can certainly reach out and do some, you can send Soothe an inquiry about wholesale or distribution, which is awesome. I think it's really fantastic. This isn't medical advice, which you pointed out on on several occasions. Talk to your doctors, (laughs) right? I've found some, some benefits with CBD. I know other people who use CBD that are entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm reluctant to say use because it makes it sound right, so, uh, right. it ca- it continues to carry the stigma yeah, in yep, a lot of ways, yep. but it can be beneficial. So, you know, talk to your healthcare providers, see if it's the right fit for you. And how can people reach out to you or to soothe as a whole yeah. if they want more information? So, um, I'm available whenever you can just contact me. It's Brandon at soothelife.com, just like the website. Um, my Instagram, I literally, you can send me as many messages as you want and I'll respond. It's at CBD Brandon. Um, so those are definitely two places you can get a hold of me. As far as the brand, uh, we are at Soothe Life on Instagram and SoothLife.com. So if you go in the bottom corner, there's a little chat button. And if you have any questions ever, go and contact that, send your question within 24 hours, we will get you a response. Awesome. Awesome. Really cool. And love what you're doing, not only with your company and with your entrepreneurial pursuits, but I think for the community as a whole, providing not only a good high quality CBD product, but offering support and destigmatization around these traditional taboos that go around mental health. See it all the time, you know, people who end up committing suicide because Mm. they just have lived their whole life with with this dark side, oh, yeah. for lack of a better term, yep. that, you know, they just never knew how to communicate to someone else. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a two-sided battle yeah. because it, it's, it's, they're dealing with their own battles, but then, you know, you have all these people around you. So how do you, how do you yeah. kind of navigate that field? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very important. Well, again, thanks for being here. Thank At the you. end of every episode, we play a little game to get to know you a little bit more personally. It's called First, Last, Best, and Worst. I'll throw a couple categories at you. you give me the first one, the earliest one that you can remember, okay. so to speak. Okay. The last one, meaning the most recent. Then the best one and the worst one okay. that you can remember. So give us the first, last, best, and worst entrepreneurial challenges you've faced. Okay, so I would say the first entrepreneurial challenge I faced was having no money and trying to not ask for any money by anybody and still generate revenue. And that was bootstrapping. They call it. Yes. Bootstrapping. (laughs) But in a context that was, I had no idea what that meant at that time. I had no training. I had nothing. I just knew that I need to generate money for myself to live through college (laughs) and I don't know how and (laughs) DJing somehow stood out and it, and it, and it worked. Wow. Awesome. (laughs) So I'd say that's the first, I would say the last would be, um, managing stock outages is 
is tough. Very tough. Um, From a shipping perspective, yeah. how do you do that? Because are you producing these products in-house or is no. the manufacturer yes. producing them for yes. you and then you're sort of drop shipping them or is it? So so basically um, I get the extracts. Mm -hmm. I have partners who are the best at what they do. Right. So my lotions are made by one lotion manufacturer. Uh, my edibles in the same um, oils and, you know, they're all kind of put in their perspective best player's corner. Mm -hmm. um, the final good is created. It's shipped to our fulfillment center, and that's in Scranton, PA. Um, and then from there, we drop ship directly to our customers right. on e-commerce right. and then directly to our retail partners. Got it. Yeah. So how are you working out these stock shortages or timing issues? Well, the... You know, the, the simple answer is you pour a bunch of money into it. Um, <laughs> the bootstrap answer is you negotiate with your suppliers and you get them to drop their minimum order quantities. There you go. You, um, I mean, and it's for good reason. Cause like if you rewind, I mean, even se seven months ago, like the prices of the raw ingredient for CBD have dropped like 60%. You know what I mean? So I use that to my advantage and, and tell my suppliers like, Hey, I'm not overbuying. Right. Like you it's not time possible. the market yeah. or else you're going to get crushed. Yeah, Cause you can't right. get stuck with right. all this overpriced inventory. Well, it's interesting. It's like, uh, almost like day trading in a lot yeah. of ways. Right. Because yep. to your point, I mean, when, when there's a huge shift in supply or demand or any, wherever that, that matrix yeah. meets. Right. And then all of a sudden from one month to the next, if you've, if you're fully stocked with CBD to your point, yep. um, whether it's distillate or, or something else, and you've overpaid for it, and now it's dropped by 60%, now you've lost. Just, yeah. You've just burned all that money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's tough, and it's um, it's good, though, because we, we, we are now in a flow, but the biggest thing is a curveball can happen at any moment. Like, right. literally, one distributor could come to the table and say, hey, I want everything you have. <laughs> just clear you out, and then you're like, all right, well— do I stop serving all my online customers or do we stop serving our retailers just so we can accommodate this big account or do we tell them no and potentially lose it? Right. So those are, those are the, the just stressful challenges that are happening now, I would so say. What do you typically do in that situation? Do you, do you break out your negotiation hat and say, Hey, yeah, I'll give we, you this percentage. And honestly, the only way to work deals like that, that they're trying to come in with a volume that's bigger than what you can maintain mm -hmm. is to get a, purchase order with a deposit okay, and just align their expectation and know that you're not getting this product for a month and don't take it from my inventory. You just go get it created for the purchase order. Giving yourself enough lead time yeah. to fulfill. Yeah. So to yeah. try to keep them happy. Exactly. Yeah. So cool. luckily those bigger guys, they're okay with larger lead times, but yeah, I mean, they're the middle ground is really where it gets tricky because wow. they'll just go to another company. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, how about your best entrepreneurial challenge? Um, see that's a tough one i mean the best entrepreneurial challenge is, has definitely just been soothed as a whole mm -hmm. because it's it's a passion project it's it's challenging every single day um every single day is different and the fruits of the labor are visible you know what i mean like i i when people come with testimonials about how the product has changed their life, I mean, right. that's, that's right. what drives you. That's so. incredible. Yeah. It's awesome. When you, when yeah. you get that kind of testimonial yeah. and, you, and you see that you may have effectively saved someone's life. It's, yeah. it's incredible. And, and even if it's not as drastic as literally saving someone's life, but just giving them more comfort right. or, or letting them be a little bit less stressed. So now they can kind of break out of their box. Like that's just as rewarding. 
Now, are there any particular uh, cause initiatives that you're focused on or philanthropic organizations that you're affiliated with? For Soothe, I think in 2020, we'll be donating to NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Mm -hmm. Um, And... There, I mean, there's a lot of organizations, but I think I think what I like is event oriented stuff that that when money comes into the organization, it's measurable and they're doing stuff that's not just paying their CEO, mm-hmm. um, which NAMI does an excellent job of that. I mean, they're visible. They're doing events. They're actually making a measurable impact. So, right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, how about the worst entrepreneurial challenge you faced? And you can spin it into a it's, positive. It depends. Yeah, I mean, it was so looking back at all the Twitter stuff, well there was a doomsday in that. We we um Twitter came, they, you know, looked at their terms of service, decided that we were violating that by essentially manipulating popularity and they banned all of our accounts. Wow. So overnight we went from, you know, 38 million followers to essentially zero. Whoa. Um so that was you know, the hardest thing that we as a team have ever overcome because that was our entire business. And luckily it was right at the time that Soothe was launching. Cause if we didn't have Soothe built when that happened, I mean, there's no telling what would happen. Wow. So that was, that was Incredible. big. And I think a little side note from that, um, none of this stuff, we wouldn't be where we were and none of this would be possible without the team around me. I mean, like we have some really talented, motivated people on this team. So just quick shout out. You have Richard Henney and Ryan Duranzo. Uh, those are the managing partners. They're full time at Ivory Ellis still. Um, so anytime they can help with Sue, obviously they do. They help guide the ship. They've got a lot of insight on um, what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. So that's super helpful. Um, and then as far as daily operators go, you've got myself, uh, Alex Grimm and Jake Jewell. So Alex He's so pivotal, pivotal to the company because he started out in product development and started um, like we wouldn't understand any of the stuff that wasn't for him. You know what I mean? Like he is he helped digest and and help us understand the medical side of stuff. So he started out in like product development, um, has transitioned to different departments. Now he taught himself finance and accounting from scratch and does our whole department. <laughs> so you know, he's, he's absolutely crushing it and he's taking over more of the operation stuff. So in the beginning of the episode, it's like operations executive, that might've been what I was in the beginning, but we all wear so many hats that it's it's tough. We're we're all co-founders and operations executives. (laughs) Um, And then you have Jake and Jake is, is maintaining all of our online presence. So he's running our Instagram, he's managing over 300 affiliates and influencers. Um, you know, managing our, our email campaigns and just, you know, crushing the online side of things. So awesome. yeah, the team, the team is, uh, the core, you know, we wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff if, if it wasn't for all of us. Very cool. Very, very cool. All right. How about the first, last, best and worst mental health stories that okay. you can recall associated with Soothe? Of yeah. Course. Okay. Um, so the earliest one yeah. sort of where you realized you were kind of making an impact in that space. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it was, it was literally just, just when we were going out in the, in the initial early stages of soothe and letting people try it in front of us and mostly around like the lotion because it's fast acting. So we would see people who would just put it on and be like, I haven't had this much mobility in my shoulder in a year. Wow. So that was very, very big for us. Um, just seeing it directly. Um, 
And then, you know, obviously just testimonials coming in in those early days, like we wouldn't be where we were at if if those testimonials didn't drive us. Right. Um, so I would say that was the first. Um, most recent. Last. Yeah, yeah. Most recent, I would say, would be probably just the mental battle of of building the product line in a super immature and non-established market. Like there, you know, we waded through multiple, multiple suppliers that, you know, either lied or, you know, didn't uphold what they should have done. It was the wild west. Yeah, yeah. it still is. Yeah. It still is. So that that's probably the most recent thing that we just overcome uh, as a company and have like a very, very solid supply chain that we trust everybody and we feel like we're family with everybody. That's great. Yeah. So that that's huge. Um, best one. Best one just happened. And it kind of falls right in line with the last one is, is the product development side. So these new gummies, it's 11 months of work. I mean, yeah, honestly, it's, it's probably the hardest guys, I've worked yeah. on a single project in my whole life. Wow. Is just getting these gummies to market. And they're finally done. They're at the lab right now. So as soon as that lab test comes back next week, we should be good for sale. Now, was it um, like quality control issues? Was it flavor? What, what was holding you back for such it's a long period a, it's of time? It's a lot. Like, Candy manufacturers don't want to take hemp in their facility because they have to change all their insurance policies. They have to change their chain of custody. It's just too much work and it's not worth the risk. So number one, finding an, something that's plant-based mm -hmm. and tastes good mm -hmm. in itself is very hard. Keeping it under two grams of sugar is very hard. Um, and most of the CBD edibles on the market are sprayed. So what that means is like literally people are buying gummies on Amazon putting them on a big table, melting the CBD down and spraying it. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then it's just a coating on the outside. So getting them to taste good while also making sure that they're infused and the CBD is in there from the point of creation. And then also finding a manufacturer that can scale that up. Right. You know, cause right now we're not doing a huge amount of volume, but when this new product comes out and we start to turn, turn on, on, you know, it's going to scale fast and right. you cannot get into a scenario where your supplier can't keep up with you. I mean, that would have just killed wow. the last 11 yeah. months of work. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, and how about the worst mental health, uh, affiliated yeah, story? I heard? mean, I would say the worst, I mean, just like there's, there's a lot of stress as an entrepreneur, you know what I mean? There's a lot of, especially in the hemp space because Every single day, things change. I mean, every day, things change. Every day, something super positive will happen. And then you end the day with something that was just absolutely absurd. So the, the emotional roller coaster of that is, is, I mean, it's tough to deal with, but I would say that that's probably the worst is just maintaining a solid state of like right in the middle of the highs and lows. Right. So you're not getting too excited for the stuff that's like awesome. And you're not getting too beat up about the stuff that's not. Um, and that's going to be consistent. Like that will never stop. And I think that's also applicable to pretty much anything in life. Yeah. But I've learned it the most through soothe because the, like a normal roller coaster, you go up the hill, you go down and you kind of, you know, do a little bunny hills. Soothe is like big hill, Massive drop, big hill, massive drop. It's like constant, <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, 
Well, entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurial journeys as a whole can kind yeah, of be like that. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, well, again, Brandon, thank you so much, man. Really cool episode. It was great to get to yeah, know you and you. hear more about Soothe. And make sure you check out SoothLife.com and pay attention to what Soothe's doing in awesome. the uh, soothing your mind and your body. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks.